thankful to be here tonight, thankful to be in this place where people do encourage, worship. I was thinking about that song, much like this morning, kind of got hung up on a song of touch him now and praise him now. And maybe I'm guilty because instead of worshiping, I was thinking back to the things that I've preached for three weeks now. I was thinking back to a song that they had just sang right before that one. There's so many reasons we need to reach out to take the hand of Jesus Christ. There's so many reasons we have to just lift our hands and our voice to say praise the name of the Lord. Going back to that song because there's power in the blood. If, not, if there's not another reason on earth, we need to thank God tonight that there is still power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because without the blood of Jesus Christ, every one of us in here would be doomed to a devil's hell. We would be looking forward to a great white throne judgment where God himself looked down and plucked us up out of hell along with hell and cast us back into a lake of fire. If for no other reason we need to lift his name up because he has provided the blood. But I look back to the messages I preach. We can thank Him and praise Him tonight and we need to be trying to touch Him because if we are, we've got the expectation of heaven. We've got the expectation of standing before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ and hear him, him, hearing Him say, Enter in, my good and faithful servant. And when He says that, we're going to be able to walk past Him and walk through a gate of pearl and then we're going to be able to walk on streets of gold that have no kind of uh, pollution or no kind of impurities in them, so pure that they're going to be clear. We'll be able to walk right up to the very throne of God and that God himself will reach down and wipe away the tears from our eyes. We've got reason to praise him and thank him tonight. We've got reason to praise and thank him because we can expect the power of the Holy Ghost to comfort us, to give us joy, to give us peace, to empower us. Matter of fact, in Luke, he said, go wait and tarry until you be endued with power from on high. When they got that power, something happened. We've got that same The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is the same spirit that's in this house tonight. We've got reason to praise him and thank him tonight. We can go to Isaiah 55 and we can look at the blessings that we can expect from God that He will never leave us, that He will never forsake us, that He wants what's good for us, that He wants to give us mercy and grace, that He wants to provide us with joy and peace. My Lord, we need to lift up the name of God tonight. We need to praise Him tonight. We need to thank Him tonight. We need to bow before Him tonight. We need to thank Him for who and what He is. But you know, even better, it don't stop there because the next message in that series was expecting a blessing. We went through Matthew chapter 9 and person after person walked up to Jesus. Why? Because they done everything the world had to offer. They tried everything. They tried every person. They tried every place. But they knew that if they got to the feet of Jesus Christ that they could expect something different. Tonight Jesus said these same things that I do, you can do and greater things. We've still got that same power tonight 
tonight. We can still expect miracles tonight. We can still walk up to the feet of Jesus Christ tonight and expect Him to reach down and touch us and change our course. I'll get to the message here in a minute. God is so very good to us. God is so very good to us. Even when He could have just wiped everything away and started over. And I'm talking even way before we were ever a thought or before we were ever born. Do you understand that He made Adam and Eve and He placed them in the Garden of Eden? And they were walking in perfection and they were walking in the presence of God and all of a sudden they decided to fail and falter. Do you understand that at that point God could have just as easily started over and not had to go through the mess of history. But He loves His creation so much. He loves us so much that even for them He made a way of reconciliation to Him by making a blood sacrifice of an animal and covering them. He didn't just throw it away and start over. To borrow from a song, I'm, I'm glad the potter didn't throw the clay away. But instead, He allowed us to come into being, into His creation. And He made a blood sacrifice for us that is not of bulls and goats and heifers, one that don't have to be made from year to year, but He sent a more perfect high priest for us to die on a cross so that He could ascend into heaven and place His blood on an altar that still runs fresh today so that we can still be covered by the power of the blood today. All right, I've got to get into what I've got for tonight. We're going to start a new series tonight. I've thoroughly enjoyed the last three weeks of expectations. And I told the fellas outside before church that I might be on this next series until Jesus comes back. Because the series, this one, is Pentecostal Wins. Pentecostal Wins. We are a Pentecostal church, are we not? We're supposed to be a Pentecostal church. And, and that's one of the reasons I feel so blessed to be here because we've got such a high percentage of people that are faithful. Now, most people would take that to mean just money, but that's not what I mean. You are very faithful financially, but you're also very faithful to the Word. You're faithful in worship. You're faithful in serving others. But there are so many churches that don't have an understanding of what Pentecost is. Now my intent tonight, I'm going to lay a little groundwork and the sermon tonight is quite simply, what is Pentecost? And it's got a subtitle for those of you that seen it online, All In. All In. I want you to think tonight as I go through what I have, are you all in? You can't be a laborer if you're not all in. You can't expect God's blessings if you're not all in. You can't expect a miracle if you're not all in. You, can't, you surely can't expect the Holy Spirit if you're not all in. 
And let's just be honest, you can't expect to walk the streets of gold if you're not all in. Pentecost, I believe, is the very foundation of both the modern church and the ancient church. I believe that because of what the Word says. And I tell you what, I've got a lot of scripture tonight. Let's go about this a little different. I'm not going to read it all having you stand, but if you would stand, we'll open with prayer now that we're halfway through. <laughs> and then I'll get into the Word and the message. Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight. God, for the power and presence of the Holy Ghost among us. Lord, I pray simply tonight that you would teach us, help us to understand, and Lord, help us to encounter you. Lord, there's nothing on this earth that can take care of our needs, our desires, our hurts, our pains. Nothing can help us like the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, let us be in your presence tonight and let us glorify and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now to understand Pentecost, you can go with me if you would like. I'm going to be in Leviticus 23. And uh, she may or may not be able to get them all on the screen. We had a few problems this morning. But if you go into Leviticus 23, it's titled at the very first of it, The Feasts of the Lord. And it goes through the different feasts that there is. And we know that Pentecost Sunday, or we should know as a Pentecostal church, that the Pentecost Sunday happens exactly 50 days after Easter. That was designed from the very beginning before Christ ever came. But from 15 through 22, you can read about this, uh, what was considered a uh, harvest festival. It says, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, Shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth two deals. They shall be fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. And ye shall offer the, with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock, two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Then ye shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. But there's one more verse in there that really spoke to me about the heart of Pentecost. The heart of what the church is supposed to be. The heart of what we are supposed to be. Leviticus 23 and 22, as it's still talking about Pentecost, it says, And when ye reap the harvest of your land, understand that Pentecost was a harvest festival. It was a time of the year when they were going out and they were harvesting the fields, and it was set apart for a time of them also to worship the Lord. 
And God tells them, When you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither, neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You see, we have this harvest festival here that some in Judaism come to think later on that it was very much tied to the giving of the law. In other words, when uh, Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, that that was also the same day that Pentecost was set apart to be celebrated. Now, to me, that makes a lot of sense, and it makes a lot of sense in how we should operate as a church. You see, I'm afraid that we have gotten away from what Pentecost really is about. To us, uh, especially in the modern day, particularly in more charismatic churches, what the Holy Ghost means is that we will speak in tongues. What it means is that we will be able to run and shout. It means that we'll be able to swing off the chandeliers and run the pews and fall out in the Spirit. And it means all of these outward appearances that we so desire and so seek in the church. And don't get me wrong, I love to have it if we could be stacked up like cordwood up front and have someone running the backs of the pews and someone over here having himself a good time dancing in the Lord it, that's my kind of service I love it but that is not what the Holy Spirit is about that is not what Pentecost is about and if we're real truthful that is not what church should be about I told you this morning about this lost and dying world that's out there and they need someone to come out and do something for them I love it in here when good things happen but we are supposed to care for the others. And ultimately, if you look at this very last verse, after everything is said and done, what God says to them is that on the day of Pentecost, you need to be concerned about someone other than yourself. We like to come in and we don't care if uh, person A over here, let me just not use a name, gets their blessing, you don't care nothing about how they feel when they go out versus how they come in as long as God touches you. And when person A is dancing in the Holy Ghost and you can't because your knees hurt and you get mad and you pout because God ain't touched you. I got one amen out of that anyway. That's just the way we are today. But Pentecost is so important, the whole of it, not just the caring for others, but the whole of what God has told us here. It was so important that it was one of three festivals that everybody had to go to Jerusalem for. If you, lived, if you were a male of age and you lived within a certain area, you had to go to Jerusalem and take your family there also. It was that important to God. As I said, the Jews seem to think it was tied with Moses and, and the law, and that makes good sense to me because Ezekiel tells us in 36 and 26 that a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In other words, that law that has been written on tablets and stones for all, these, all this time and all these years, all of a sudden, he's going to do something even better for his people. You're not going to have to go back into the synagogue. You're not going to have to go to the rabbi down the street. But the Holy Spirit himself will change your heart and write upon your heart and tell you what the law of God is, which is to love God. And love others. That's the two commandments. You can hang all the law and all the prophets 
on those. Love God. Love others. It's that simple. And I believe in Pentecost, we see exactly that. Jeremiah wasn't just Ezekiel, but Jeremiah was also told and said, After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. That's Jeremiah 31, 33. We know from the New Testament that God was indeed talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in there. Hebrews 10 and 16, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, make no mistake, the Comforter is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now Pentecost, first and foremost, is about us following Jesus Christ. There is no reason to claim that you're a Pentecostal. Matter of fact, there's no reason to claim that you're even Christian if you're not following after Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, Pentecost, is to help you to follow Jesus. We know that you can't even proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord without the Holy Spirit. You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. You can't live right without the Holy Spirit. You don't know how to talk to people without the Holy Spirit. You can read through the Gospels. Jesus told his disciples, don't give thought for what you're going to say when this person calls you up and that person pulls you up. You leave that up to the Holy Ghost. That's the Steve Webb version. He said, don't give it thought. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say to these people. We can't live life without the Holy Spirit. We can dance on other spirits. We can come into the house and we can prophesy all day long. You can give someone a word that's in your flesh instead of in your spirit. The devil knows how to imitate a whole lot of things. But you cannot live life without the Holy Spirit. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you something? It better cost you something. Oh, in these days of prosperity, that ain't all that cool, is it? The Holy Spirit will cost you something. Living for God costs you something. It's not called a sacrifice for no reason. I want you to look at that list of what they had to do. Now you're talking about people that work sun up to sundown, trying to scrape out enough food to take care of their family from year to year. They're not even looking two or three years out. They're counting on the providence and blessings of God to give them enough today to last them until the next harvest next year. And yet when it comes time for this festival, for Pentecost, the first thing that they have to bring is two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They have to bring a first fruits offering unto the Lord. They've already just given, just 50 days ago, they've already had to slaughter a lamb and, and live without uh, leavened bread. They had to do unleavened bread for seven or eight days. They've already made great sacrifice. They're coming to the very end of what they were able to put up last year. And the very first thing that they get out of their garden this year, so to speak, they have to take and give to the Lord. But that's not it. They have to bring the bread with seven lambs. They've already just killed a lamb just a couple weeks ago. Now they have to bring seven more. 
not just seven lambs, seven lambs without blemish, and they have to be first-year lambs. And not just those, they also have to bring a young bull, two rams. These are just for a burnt offering. We've not even gotten to the other offerings as of yet. You see, it costs you something to follow after what God has for you and what He wants to do for you and what He wants to pour out upon you. It costs you something to put yourself to the side. It costs you something to forsake the world and follow after Jesus Christ. It costs you something to forsake all the pleasures of the world and set them aside. And make no mistake that there is pleasure for a moment, for a season in sin. It can be a lot of fun to to do a lot of things, but it costs you something. You have to put it aside and you have to sacrifice to the Lord. They had to sacrifice that with their meat offering, their drink offerings, and even an offering made by fire. Then, then, on top of all of this, ye shall sacrifice one kid of the goats. Why? For a sin offering. Then, on top of the sin offering, you had to do two more lambs of the first year for a peace offering. We've had these burnt offerings just to the Lord. We've got meat and drink and bread offerings, which is what God has provided, which is what you have worked for, and also your first fruits, your two loaves of bread. So you need to take to God your first fruits. You need to take to the Lord what you have worked for. You need to take to the Lord what He has blessed you with. You need to take something to the Lord that's going to cost you something for your sin. You need to take your past life and you need to lay it down and you need to leave it alone. Yes, that is costly. It's not as costly as the blood of Christ was, but it is costly. Then you need to lay down all of your hard feelings, your bitterness, the stuff that you're holding on to from yesterday, the things that you can't let go of from your childhood because you've got to make a peace offering. And you take it all into the, the priest. But you know what else you need to give him? You need to give him your time. We don't like giving God our time today. We would rather miss a car payment to pay tithes than give him our time. But the word of the Lord says to me that on the day of Pentecost you shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you that ye shall do no servile work therein you need to set aside time for the Lord you need to quit splitting your vision 
and your passions between worldly pursuits and spiritual passion. They're not congruent one with the other. You can't pursue worldly pursuits and expect to have fire shut up in your bones like Jeremiah when you walk through the door on Sunday. That builds up starting on Monday. It builds up on Tuesday. It builds up on Wednesday when you come in for Bible study. It builds up on Thursday when you come in here to practice or to listen to them practice uh, their songs for the weekend to make sure that they're serving the Lord right. It builds on you in Friday when you're coming to the end of your work week. You should already be building up this passion and this fire for the Lord. It builds up on Saturday as you're anticipating being able to come in and worship the one that died for you. And on Sunday when you come in and that fire's been building all week, my Lord, then you can come in and you can be happy and you can shout a little bit and you can be thankful that God has kept you and held you. But if you wait until Sunday morning when you walk through there, that little spark ain't going to get it done. And you will not be Pentecostal. But we also need to have our eye towards others. That's the last part of Pentecost in Leviticus. And I really think to, to Ruth and Boaz. You know, Ruth come in and she was gleaning the fields. Why was she able to glean the fields? Because God had given them a statute forever that they were to leave the corners of the fields. That the things that they dropped or the things that they missed, that's the gleanings, that they're not supposed to go back and get, that they're supposed to leave them for whoever comes in, for the destitute, for the poor, for the downtrodden. Ruth was exactly that way. And I can tell you that what we need to do is we need to be like Boaz was. Boaz knew that Ruth was out in the field and that she was able to go and find what she needed in the corners. He knew that the gleanings of the field would provide her basic sustenance. It would provide just enough to be able to get her by. For far too long, we've taken Pentecost as doing just enough to get us by. We've taken it as just enough to get us into heaven. We don't worry about our crowns of righteousness to cast at the feet of our Lord. Just as long as we make it through the gate, everything's going to be a-okay. But if we are only worried about us making it through the gate, I don't think we're going to do it. If we're worried only about us making it through the gate, then we're not really following Jesus Christ. If we're only worried about us making it through the gate... What about the person out on the street that don't know Jesus? What about our children that are struggling? What about our neighbor that don't know what to do? What we have to do is like Boaz. We need to make sure it's not just enough. But for Ruth, what he told his workers in Ruth 2.16 was go out and leave her some handfuls on purpose. Let her find everything that she can find. Let her clean the fields and have just enough. But then when she's done with just enough, I want you to leave handfuls and handfuls and handfuls so not only will she be able to get what she needs not only will we be able to get what we need but through her line and through her seed will come Jesus Christ because they are preserved 
That's what we need to be doing. We're looking at churches that are going to die in 15 or 20 years if we don't start leaving handfuls on purpose, if we don't start pouring out the Spirit that's in us freely. You have been given freely. You need to give. I have poured out upon you. You need to bless others. I have healed you. You need to heal others. I have cleaned your life up. You need to proclaim the gospel to them that the same Spirit that cleans you up is the same Spirit that can clean them up but no we come in and we worry about swinging on chandeliers and speaking in tongues that is not Pentecost Pentecost is giving ourselves up taking the time to travel to where we need to be it's about sacrificing beyond what seems almost reasonable. It, to me, it just don't sound reasonable to have to take the first fruits and then seven lambs and then a bull and then all the drink offerings and then all the bread offerings and then on top of that going back and bringing another goat, bringing in two lambs and then not harvesting all of your field. You haven't thought about Pentecost like that, have you? That's exactly, go read it. That's what they had to do. And yet we think it's something that we should be able to come in and get without sacrifice. But instead, Pentecost really, I think, is encapsulated best in John 13 and 1. And then dropping down to 13 and 34, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of his world unto the Father, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them until the end. And then as he wrapped up, he said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. We need to do that. We need to make a sin offering. We need to make a peace offering. Why peace? Hebrews tells me that we need to follow peace with all men. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. You, oh, we're a holiness church. We like to take, we, we have to have holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We like to take the last part of that verse. But the first part of that says we also need to pursue peace with all men. And in addition to pursuing peace you also need holiness you can't hold alt against your brother you can't be mad at your brother and have bitterness in your heart and see the Lord you can't go around life sinning at free will and expect to see the Lord you can't come in here on Sunday as I told you with a little spark because you've been living like hell Monday through Saturday and expect to get to heaven on Sunday it don't work that way and that's what Pentecost is about. It's about you being all in. All in. Have you made repentance for your sin? Have you come up and have you offered your old life up on the altar to tell God that you are done and that you want to walk away from it and that you want to be able to expect to get into heaven, that you want to expect the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, that you want to expect His blessings, that you expect miracles in your life. Not only that, that you expect to be able to go out and see miracles in other people's life. Have you laid it down and left it alone? That bully that beat you up in eighth grade, have you made peace with him? Or do you still like to tell that story and how if you see him next time, 
Have you made a peace offering? Have you laid that down on the altar and let it go? I know what it is to hold on to bitterness. I've been there. I've done that. It, it, it will affect your ministry. It affected my ministry. Have you made a first fruit offering? And let me direct this directly to the camera because in here I, I can almost assuredly say yes, you have. I see that on the financial records every month. Have you brought an offering of what you worked for? You remember Abel took a lamb. That was accepted by God. That's what God provided, right? Cain took what he worked for out of his own hand. That wasn't acceptable for what God wanted at that time. Here, God's telling us to bring both. The first fruits, what we've worked for, what he's blessed us with. Have you brought all of that as an offering to the Lord? Have you set aside time for God? A holy convocation. A total devotion to God. Shunning your worldly pursuits so that you can indeed be like Jeremiah. I know Jeremiah's case is a little different. He was bound and determined that he wasn't going to preach the gospel. But it was like fire shut up in his bones. Why? Because I believe Jeremiah was a godly man that set aside time for God. I believe he was all in. I believe he was one that understood Pentecost and that he made the sin offerings, that he made the peace offerings, that he made the first fruit offerings, that he brought in a, a, a gift, an offering from what he had worked for. He brought in an offering from what God had blessed him with. He set aside time for the Lord. He made the pilgrimage to where he needed to be. He was all in and it was like fire shut up in his bones that he could not contain. I've got a simple question tonight. Stopping there. What does it cost you? What has it cost you? Are you still living exactly the same now as before? Have you had to change your schedule to read the Word of the Lord? Have you had to change your morning routine to make time for prayer? Have you put what happened in 8th grade behind you? Are you bringing in to God what He expects you to bring in? I'm not talking just about money. I'm talking about your time, your talents, your passions. I'm talking about your very soul. Because God's will is that no man would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of truth. Are you all in? Are you all in? 
Now, if you're not all in, if you're not all in, you're not going to get all of God. As a matter of fact, there may come a day when you have none of Him. He has provided His absolute very best for us. There is nothing less we can do for God than all in. So what is Pentecost? It is being all in. If you're not all in tonight, I would encourage you to make that decision. Submit your life to Christ. Put some tears on this altar. Like I talked about the mourner's bench this morning. If you have submitted your life to Christ, I would encourage you to come and make sure you are all in. Examine yourself. Have Christ examine you. I promise you He'll reveal to you what needs to be revealed. And also tonight, as I close, as always, if anyone needs prayer, I'm still believing in hearing good things from last Sunday night. But I also believe we can have a service tonight where we can hear more good things. God has no limits. Just because He did it last week don't mean He can't this week. It means He wants to do double this week, I believe. If you need prayer for anything, please come and grab me, one of these councilmen, one of our church leaders. Let us pray with you and for you. But above all tonight, I encourage you, if you're not all in, come. Come. Because you cannot expect heaven if you're not. Now, if you've already submitted your life to Christ, I would encourage you to come tonight to examine yourself. Make sure you're all in. Make sure you're doing all that God would have you to do in the nature of Pentecost. The altars are open.